So uh, kind of a weird combination of scriptures. The title, the working title for this sermon uh, is uh, Spiritual Production. And what I want to talk about this morning is what our spirituality produces. Because usually when we think about our spirituality, whether it be in the context of church or something else, a lot of times it's talked about as this really private thing that shouldn't impact other things. That's one of the ways that it's talked about. But I've become more and more convinced that our spiritual state not only impacts our world, but it actually orders and arranges the world around us or doesn't, or, or it creates a, a more chaotic environment that we live in. So right now, we just finished early voting in Memphis and we're voting for two important areas, the mayor and city council members. And those roles are so incredibly important as to what happens in our city. So if you didn't early vote, then vote on voting day, October 5th, it's coming up this week. So vote. So the mayor, one of the things that the mayor's office does is the mayor's office sets the budget for what money the city will spend for the, for the, for the next year and then for the following years of, of that, that mayor's run as mayor. And, and the city council people get to approve or not approve that budget. And they, the city council people can also add things to that budget or try to take things out of the budget that the mayor's office presents to them. So when you vote for the mayor, you're voting for a person's idea, vision, and their imagination about what the city of Memphis could be like, that how it could be different than it is now. Or you could be voting for somebody that has very little imagination about what the city of Memphis could look like. And all that they could imagine is a couple of small tweaks that still keep things roughly the same. And maybe you give the police a little more money because we're, we're all dealing with a higher crime right now. And, but they don't necessarily have much imagination as to what the city could look like. Same thing with the council members. And so what I'm trying to get at this morning and what I, with what I just said is two things. One is vote. And the second thing is that the imagination of somebody like the mayor actually creates a different city. But it's not just the mayor. It's each one of us that our imaginations are what come out of us and they create the world around us, whether you know it or not. And sometimes we don't connect our imaginations to our spirituality, but they are so in inextricably connected to each other. 
Here's why I wanted to read that whole Matthew passage. I'm not gonna talk to you today about being a hypocrite or any of those types of things. Here's, Here's why I wanted you to hear that whole passage. The whole passage described a group of people who had power to shape the reality around them, to give people a sense of what was important and what wasn't and how they spent their time and how they spent their money. And they did so from their imaginations about what type of God that they were serving. And their picture of who God was, was a very petty God, was a God that was concerned with crossing all these tiny little dots and T's in one area saying like, you tithe, you do so good at tithing that you go out to your garden and you pick a tenth of your cumin to tithe. But then you go and you buy up a widow's house and kick her out on the street with the rest of your profits. And so the imagination of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law here were small and petty and even cruel. And because that was the picture that they had of God, that was the reality that they shaped in the world. So you could see why Jesus would be willing to go on this long of a tirade. Just the whole chapter, he's just saying, woe to you Pharisees. And if I had to say it in a different way, based on what we're talking about today, woe to you Pharisees, you think so small. You close the door. You close the door to the kingdom of heaven for other people because you load them down with all of these incredible burdens that you've made up in your minds. You've said, oh, there's this law over here. Well, what if we compounded that? What if we added more to that? What if we made it more bureaucratic and more and more difficult so that we felt better about ourselves because ultimately their imaginations were so tiny that they had given up on believing that there was something bigger than just the survival of the status quo. Woe to you Pharisees and your tiny little imaginations. And then in the second passage, it's really incredible. I was thinking about this yesterday. I was thinking about when the Bible talks about people being filled with the Spirit of God. What happens when the Bible talks about that? And in this passage in Exodus, it's the first time, it's the first time in the Bible in which it says that the Spirit of God was filled and inside of a person. And that person and those people in this passage what they got and what they did with it was their imaginations were filled by God with all types of things to produce, to make. They were craftsmen. And so they built this temple. They, their, what was in their imagination came out and it reshaped the reality around them and it reshaped people's ideas about who God was. 
They had just come from the land of Egypt where they had the ideas about God. They saw the images and the paintings and the pharaohs and their ideas about God were shaped by that. And God said, I want to fill your imaginations with a new idea of what God is like and where God is and how God operates. And so they began to craft this tabernacle, this place that told and reminded all the people that God was dwelling there with them. So what does our spirituality produce in the world? It produces something. What does yours produce? What we create out of our imaginations, what we build in this world can make it easier or more difficult to trust in a God of love, of justice, of kindness. That's why Jesus was so mad at the Pharisees. He was so mad because what they were producing, their imaginations were creating a world and it did not line up with who God was, with who God, who Jesus knew God to be. And so Jesus challenges with his words to develop this particular type of imagination. And he would throw out these parables and these sayings, and he would say things like, the kingdom of heaven is like this tiny little bit of yeast worked into some dough that even though it's just a little bit, it expands throughout the dough and it causes the whole loaf of bread to expand. And you could sit with that parable for a long time. Your imagination could go a lot of ways. How could the kingdom of heaven be like that in my life, in my world? What might God be challenging me just to even imagine? Have you ever noticed this craftsman, right, in the story has a particular set of skills. Have you ever noticed that your skills can often end up dictating what you're willing to imagine? Have you ever noticed that? That so often my limitations in life come from me not even being willing to imagine what's possible because I think, well, I can't do that. I'm not able to do that. I don't have that skill. And it didn't start like that for me. When, when I was seven or eight years old, we had a deck in our backyard and, and a big storm came through and we had a patio set and the patio set gusted off of the porch and it, and it had like one of those glass tabletops and it broke into pieces, but the, uh, the umbrella was intact and there was a, a, a old tent. I think it was old, I don't know. I, I went and got it though in our garage and I convinced some of the neighbor kids and we built a fort in the backyard and we covered that umbrella with the tarp to make a waterproof roof. And then my, the, my neighbor, this, this little redheaded girl named Stephanie, she, I could see in her garage, there was a really long board in there that went the whole span of the garage. And I, and I traded something to her to get her board out of the garage to make a bridge from one, the first part of the fort to the other part of the fort. 
And a year later, this fort was like our entire backyard. There was this little tiny patch of trees in our backyard and the fort was just, it was, it was huge. And I did, I'd never built any, I was eight years old, I never built anything. My neighbor, other neighbor, Mickey, his dad had a box of nails. And to me, it was an endless box of nails. It looked like infinity in this box of nails. It was probably a square foot of nails. But I'm like, we would never be able to use that many nails. We've got as many chances as we need. And on, on trash day, I'd ride my bike and I'd pick up materials and supplies and I'd, I'd go and, and, and build more fort. And on, on Saturday mornings, I'd ask my mom, can I go knock on Mickey's door yet so we can build the fort together? And she's like, no, it's 7 a.m. You need to wait longer. And so I would just go out there and start working on it myself. And then we build bigger forts and different things and, and, and go-karts that didn't have motors, but we lived in Georgia and there were lots of hills. But eventually, at some point I got old enough where I started saying, no, I can't, I can't do that. I don't know how to do that stuff. That's what, that's what kids in, in the first school I taught at would say in art class. I don't know how to do that stuff, Mr. Carter. I'm like, well, that's why you're here, buddy, because we've got, we got a lesson here. We're going to learn how to do it. Did you know if you, if you ask a three or four-year-old, are you an artist? Most of them will raise their hands. But by like seven or eight, the hands aren't going up anymore. Why? It's because of this. It's because they, they realized that their skills weren't going as far as their imaginations were. So they thought that meant they shouldn't create anymore. So I was sitting, when I was about 27 years old, I was sitting, I was invited to meet with these two guys down in the strip that was a, a series of buildings where Crosstown was. So we could see, we were in, in the, remember when it was in those smaller buildings? And the, and the Sears Tower was over there just empty. I met with this guy, Todd, and this other guy, and they were asking me about the community that we had and this workshop that we had. And they had this idea to renovate this Sears Tower, and they wanted my opinions about how to do that with the community. But I don't think I was much help to them because their imaginations were so much bigger than mine at that moment. And I had no idea the dream that they had to do what they did with that building and how they were willing again and again to have to say, I don't know how to do that. Like Todd is an art history professor. And, and yet he had this dream of renovating this crosstown building and they did it. And I was probably no help at all because my imagination wasn't big enough to be a part of that. So what am I trying to tell you right now? I'm trying to tell you that 3,500 years ago, circa or whatever, those guys that God filled the divine spirit with uh, weren't the only ones who were given this. This capacity to imagine a different world. Maybe it's just at first, maybe it's just your dinner table. 
a different world, a different arrangement or configuration. You know, we just moved, we were looking around neighborhoods all over the place and neighborhoods are designed to do certain things and not others. And the mayor gets to decide what that is. And that decides how communities can work or not work or flourish or not flourish. And we have the same ability what we imagine, and then what we produce in the world. And so what we don't want to do, what I'm saying that I want you to get, what I don't want us to do is let your skills stop you from imagining. I don't know how to do that. It's okay because God will give you who and what you need if you follow that divine prophetic imagination that God has planted in every single one of us. Think about the anger that Jesus had. What was he angry about? He was angry that, that the Pharisees were playing too small and people were suffering because of how small they were. How, really, at the end of the day, it wasn't that they believed other people's lives were insignificant. They believed their own lives were insignificant. They couldn't allow their imagination to get any bigger. Jesus tells us to pray. We pray this prayer every Sunday morning at the pre-service meeting, the, the Our Father prayer. That is such an audacious prayer. Let, let, let your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. You know what heaven is? It's the playground of God's imagination. How's it gonna get to earth? How's it gonna get there? Through our imaginations. So we can let the imaginations of political leaders and a, a dualistic battle between a Democrat and a Republican who are both willing to pass a budget that still adds $2 trillion to our debt ceiling, or we can begin to use our own imaginations about what the future could and would look like if we believe that God gave us those imaginations, that our imaginations are not just something that we have to manage and keep from doing bad things in our imagination, that you have the freedom of God to imagine another world, another arrangement of reality. Don't worry about if it's possible yet. Do you know how many things started in someone's imagination that everybody thought was impossible? A freaking airplane. We fly around on airplanes like it's no big deal. Nobody thought you could do that. Or, or that you could, you could make a donut that was mostly synthetic, Krispy Kreme, and you could put it in a microwave and heat it back up and burn your lips on it all in 30 seconds. Irrigation systems, water turbines, movies, space shuttles, living sustainably in a fossil fuel world. All those things were impossible. All of them nobody thought would ever exist, except for maybe Leonardo da Vinci in his sketchbook. It is impossible that everyone could have enough to eat that energy sources could be clean and renewable and that everybody could still have a job. Is it impossible right now? Yes. So what? Big deal. 
When we ask and accept God to speak into our imaginations and give us the skills and the people and the understanding that we need, we're asking for the gifts of a prophet. And it's meant for all of us. Uh, this Old Testament scholar, Walter Brueggemann, he wrote this book called The Prophetic Imagination. And this is what he has to say about this idea of imagining a future as a prophet, an, uh, an impossible future. The prophet engages in futuring fantasy. The prophet does not ask if the vision can be implemented, for questions of implementation are of no consequence until the vision can be imagined. The imagination must come before the implementation. Our culture is competent to implement almost anything and to imagine almost nothing. The same royal consciousness, the same political consciousness that makes it possible to implement anything and everything is the one that shrinks imagination because imagination is a danger Thus, every totalitarian regime is frightened of the artist. It is the vocation of the prophet, the work of the prophet, to keep alive the ministry of imagination, to keep on conjuring and proposing futures alternative to the single one that the king, the president, the mayor, city council wants to urge as the only thinkable one. The battleground we thought was what we were, the materials, the things we were already working with. But if this is true, then it means the battleground is happening here in our imagination, in what is spiritually possible for us. We're the only creatures on this planet that have an imagination. Life doesn't just happen. These cities don't just happen. What happens in our house, at our dinner tables, in our yards, in our neighborhoods doesn't just happen. It starts in someone's imagination. It doesn't end there because when we build, when we are building from that divine imagination, it just generates more. I wonder if that could be one way to think about what Jesus said about that little bit of yeast worked into the dough or that tiny little mustard seed. You see, those craftsmen, the imaginations that, that God gave them, they built this temple, this tabernacle, and so that when people saw it and they saw the symbols, they saw, oh, God forgives us. God wants to dwell with us. God wants to be with us. There is a sacred, there is a holy God who cares for us, who is merciful to us, who is kind to us. But you know what? It didn't stop there and it didn't start there because Moses knew this all along before there was ever a temple. He knew when he was standing in front of the burning bush that actually all around him was Holy ground. 
See, our, our imaginations can, can help to build and restructure and reframe the world to help people see a God that is bigger, a God that is more caring and loving, a God of creativity. Why would God ever give us what God had and not expect us to produce the things that God did? He, he made the creation, said it was good, said it was good, and then said, and now you do some stuff. So, uh, right now, um, we're, we're on this cusp of this, pro, this house project where we moved into this old farmhouse and we're finding, uh, we found someone, actually a guy using a sermon a couple years ago, Dwayne Johnson, who, not that one, who builds... Who, who builds tiny homes and he's from Orange Mountain. He's building a tiny home in our backyard for Becky's mom, who's like a farmer and a gardener. And we found this piece of land and we had to pull out all the stops to get this house. And we're gonna be able to garden and farm and do different things on it that we couldn't do at our old house. And then at our old house, my mom is moving into that house. And so we're gonna still be connected to that other neighborhood. And we're doing something here that I couldn't, I couldn't imagine Less than a year ago, I could not imagine this. And yet, as, as I followed some things that God was teaching me and I trusted some people to help me, my imagination grew. And guess what? It's compounding, people. My imagination keeps growing and it's way beyond what I could ever do. There's so many things about it that I can't do. I need more people's imaginations to be jump-started and woken up and to realize that there is so much more than just the status quo, what somebody else told you it could be. But it's not, it, it, it'll, never be, it'll never be just for you this divine imagination. It's always to share. It's always to, to spread out it, and it multiplies as it spreads out. So many of Jesus' parables with talents and all of these things, they just keep multiplying when you use them. So what does your spirituality produce? What do you want it to produce? At your dinner table, in your engagement in politics or with Micah, in your engagement here at Christ City, how you're engaging, what you're willing to do, what step of trust and faith you're willing to make. I was trying to take a picture of that lyric and I'm ending right now, that, that lyric in the beginning where the song says that my, my feet are stable, they're like strong and my eyes are clear and I don't know the way. You gotta have faith to go with your imagination. Otherwise, you'll be too afraid. You'll, be, you'll, you'll think too small. You gotta access heaven. What is impossible that you haven't let yourself imagine and think about? In your family, in your relationships, at this church, in this city, Quit worrying about if it's possible. Just do the work of imagining and invite God and us to do it with you. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father,
God, thank you for um, thank you for this church family. Thank you for the imaginations you've given us all. Help us to follow them. Thank you for the children that are going to be joining us soon to remind us about the power of our imaginations. Amen.